0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company. They offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com.
1: Action Park Media. Please take a moment to like, subscribe, rate, review, all of the above on whatever app you're getting it from. Today, my guest is Janae Marie Croc, a former professional powerlifter and bodybuilder. Janae was a United States Marine, cancer survivor, published author, licensed pharmacist, model, and proud parent of three teenage sons. Today, she will share her experiences with us. You can find Janae on Instagram at Janae. Marie Croc. Welcome to the American Glutton Podcast. Thank you for having me on. I'm so excited to talk to you about a number of different things, but I want to just say that when I I've I've tried various sports and pursuits to achieve my physical goals, and then I realized there is a sport that is somewhat, I think, underlooked in in the diet community, and that is bodybuilding. Bodybuilders are always dieting.
2: Oh, absolutely. Honestly, like, bodybuilders are pretty much at the forefront of that whole thing. You know, that's what they do, right? I mean, that whole object for show is to get into this ridiculous condition, and actually it's evolved to a point where the conditions, you know, the top level professionals get into are not even, you can't even physically maintain that for more than 24, 48 hours, but they've become masters of manipulating the body, you know, through diet and exercise. And, uh, it, it's funny because you'll have, you know, all these people with college degrees and nutrition and all this other stuff. But really, I, I think the, the, you know, the people that do it at the highest levels are, are actually ahead of the game. They have figured things out that, no one else has caught up to yet because, you know, that's their edge and that's how they win is by being the very best of being able to manipulate their bodies and, you know, come in in just ridiculous condition with a few percent body fat and, and, and not only in dieting down and getting lean, but also in changing body composition, adding more muscle, you know, how to rebound properly after a, a, a you know, a super strict diet like that and all those kinds of things. So it's, I mean, it's part art, it's part science, it's part wizardry, but, uh, there's a whole lot that go, goes into it and yeah, bodybuilders are, you know, that is their world and that's what they do.
1: Yeah. And like from a, from a totally external point of view, it really is like controlled yo-yo dieting.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, honestly, like for, you know, to do it as a competitor is one thing to do it as a, you know, a high level athlete, you know, I, anybody who comes to me and they're in there telling me they want to get into bodybuilding and you know, they want to compete. And I make sure they're fully aware of what they're getting into because it, it is, it's a very difficult thing that takes a ton of discipline, but it also, it revolves so much around food that it, it can, it can initiate some really bad habits. You know things like using food as a reward, and you know that extreme deprivation can lead to binging, and and so I, I really feel like people need to know what they're getting into, and be prepared for that, and be ready to handle those things, because you know there's you know some people like to joke sometimes that if you don't have an eating disorder and you want one, you know do a bodybuilding
1: show. Right. But um, I mean that makes yeah, and it, it's that makes sense to me. I think I, I gravitate towards. Towards it, almost more just because, like it, it all, just is like uh, to me a more rational version of the way I've been living my life for most of my life. Yeah. Oh,
2: yeah. It's oh, yeah. It's really amazing how. You know, just between culture and, you know, society and all these things, like how our obsession with our appearance, our diets, you know, and all these things and how that goes into our self-worth and how we see how we view other people and how we view ourselves. And I I think the body building world epitomizes so much of that.
1: Right. Yeah, it is wild. There was a, a huge period of time where I was just resigned to the idea that I would diet my ass off and then try to regain the weight as slowly as possible but the idea was like unless i'm dieting i'll always be regaining the weight and so like the first mm-hmm. time i checked out what the what the you know what bodybuilders were doing i was like they're doing that too yeah
2: <laughs> it's all the yeah. same yeah. Yeah, it is. It's yeah, you're either you're you're you know, you're dieting down, you're trying to get your body fat as low as possible while you know maintaining as much muscle as you can, or you're you know, post show or in the off season, you're trying to gain as much muscle as possible while minimizing the body fat gain. So it's you know, you're either you're growing or you're cutting and and there's and there's different strategies and different techniques but that's really what you know that that whole sport revolves around.
1: Yeah, it is. It is wild to me. I've come finally to um, you know the this guys uh, these guys at at uh, Renaissance periodization, uh, Mike Isratel and mm-hmm. Nick Sean, those dudes that that mm-hmm. in their formats. And I know uh, Lane Norton talks about this too. The the maintenance periods, and within the maintenance periods, I really have for the first time in my life become comfortable at a weight like it it was all one way or the other and so I don't want it to I don't want to like be saying like I'm have the same disorders now because I really don't believe I do I've spent most of last year maintaining my weight and it was pretty easy but I am excited to try to put on some muscle mass without gaining a hundred pounds that's an interesting idea right you know and then having to cut from that would be great. So I am I am like dipping my toes in it a little bit. I mean, I guess it is. I'm not super versed on on the bodybuilding world, but it was something that occurred to me is like bodybuilders are always dieting one way or the other. They're dieting or they're concerned with what they're eating. Yeah. Yeah, well, that,
2: that's yeah, and that, and that's the thing. Like I, I explain to people too, if they've never competed and they're thinking about getting into something, but like with powerlifting, where I you know competed more at and I was actually more successful at, with powerlifting it was is more about the training, now, how hard you train, how your training is programmed, and you know diet. Unless you were someone who was trying to make a lighter weight class or you were weight cutting at the very end. To drop a weight class or whatever, really your diet can be fairly, you know, quote unquote normal. Although you know people still eat tons of protein or they're you know perpetually bulking to where they're trying to get bigger to get stronger. But with bodybuilding, I really feel the biggest challenge is the diet, the eating. It's a 24/7, 365 thing, and it, it really gauges, especially. What I found and, and I think a lot of athletes find is the farther you get and the and the more elite you become in the sport, the bigger role diet plays. I know towards the end of my bodybuilding career, it was really my diet that determined, you know, my progress. You know, even in the off season, you're still, you know, it it's still you you're very conscious of everything you know, you're putting in your body and, you know, you're weighing and measuring. And then after a while you do it so much that you, you, you know, it's like, you know, what something is just by looking at it. Oh, I know how many ounces of that is. I know how much proteins and I know how many carbs and how much fat. And it just becomes second nature because you do it so much. But yeah, it, it's, it's a sport that, you know, probably more so than any other while nutrition is always important with bodybuilding. It's yeah, it's, it's a huge focus.
1: Yeah. It's, it's really wild. I'd never, I'd never really considered it, but it is a sport about dieting pretty much. I mean, you got, there's a lot, ton of other work too, but that's such a critical part of it.
2: Yeah. Um, Yeah. Cause it's so much about body composition. Right. And that's where diet makes such a huge difference.
1: Right. All right. So another thing I've been very interested, interested to talk to you about is something that has happened to me throughout my, 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 tenure as a person on diets and i just wonder if you have insight into this that is relatable and i imagine as a bodybuilder you do too but like i would always i have i have gotten to a place a number of times where like my goal is 50 pounds fat loss and i and i get there and i'm standing there looking in the mirror completely dissatisfied and even today when i when i Try to shake that off, and I have other goals that I'm setting now, like visible abs. There's never once been a point where I've achieved some goal like I can ride my bike for a hundred and fifty miles you know and and be completely fine, or I can bench press four plates or whatever it is. Physical goals are one thing where the the metric is so objective that once you achieve it, you achieve it, but when it's when it's wrapped up with my body, I've never been satisfied.
2: Yeah. No, and I think that's extremely common in sports like that. And especially, I, I won't say that everyone feels that way, but I would say a large majority of the people do. I know I do. I know most of my friends that compete at a high level felt the same way. I mean, we talked about it a lot of times. And so most of us, I wouldn't say that it was necessarily at an unhealthy level always. I mean, there's certainly extreme cases of it. But all of us to some degree, I mean, just for example, so like when I was competing, when I was at my biggest, I'm, I'm slightly under 5'9". And, um, at my biggest, I was around 280 pounds and that's with about 10, 10, maybe 12% body fat at the most. I mean, I've had abs my entire life and, and, um, you know, I've never really been the person who did like a, you know, the bulk, like took bulking to the extreme. I always tried to stay in relatively decent shape, but, uh, but, but I would walk into a room and let's say I was walking around at 275. I'd walk into a room where there are a bunch of guys there, you know, competition or whatever, maybe I'm there helping people and I'm not competing myself and they're like 225. I mean, I've got like 50 pounds on them, but I'm looking at them and saying, geez, I feel so small. They all look way bigger than me. Like I felt like the smallest person there, even though I was conscious of the fact that was not the case and it wasn't even that close. And then sometimes I would see pictures or video later of us, and then me standing next to these people, and I would look much larger, but I I never felt that way, and it was always, you know, and like you said, you never, that feeling of never being satisfied, and you know, some people think, oh my god, that's just such a horrible thing, but at the same time, it's part of what drives us, right, it's part of what motivates us, it's part of what keeps us going, so I, I think you can use that, you know, to be a motivator, to drive you, to help achieve goals, it's, but you need to be conscious of it, you need to be aware of it, and you need to be aware of when it's crossing into an unhealthy area. But I, I think it's very common to, you know, like you said it's such a subjective thing. I think we a lot of us tend to be our own worst critics. And, yeah, no matter how big I got when I was competing or how lean I was, I was never lean enough. I was never big enough. And, you know, people would say, well, you know, how strong do you want to be or how, how big do you think you can get? And I'm like, there is no limit. There is no enough. Enough doesn't exist. You know, that it's just... That's not the mentality that
1: I have. Yeah. My wife puts governors on it. I'll send her pictures and I'll be like, this is what I'm going for. And she's like, no, you're not. But yes, for me there, I'm totally with you. There is no, it's just like how strong, how big, how ripped, you Mm -hmm. know, how, how lean, all of this factors in. And I've gotten good at being able to find something that is, Uh, provable about myself and then building upon that so that because i think it's a razor's edge this thing just like maybe Mm -hmm. you know one side is it's hopeless because i'll never get to a point where i'm really happy and the other side is who cares you know right and so it's like a narrow road
2: yeah, I, I think I think what's or what helped me and how I began, learned to look at things was it, it's not about you know you, know, you hear this it's, it's so cliche it, it's a it's a journey it's not a destination but I think there's a lot of truth in that in that you need to look at it as what what I gauge everything on is progress am I am I going in the right direction am I improving because yeah if you get an end goal like for example like my biggest goal when competing was to break the all-time world record in powerlifting in my weight class, which I eventually did. And the funny thing was, when I got there, when I won that, you know, when I did it, it was at nationals in 2009, and I broke the all-time world record. I'd been focused on this for over a decade. And then I finally got it, and it felt good. It, it did. But immediately there was this, okay, what now? Right. Where, where I had I had been focused on it for so long I didn't think about what was next, you know, it, 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 so it really, like I said, in especially to keep it in a healthy perspective was all about progress. Am I getting better? And am, am I getting stronger when I, when I was focused on bodybuilding? Am I adding more muscle? Am I bringing up my weak areas? Because yeah, if you, if you look at it as, you know, there is no end, but that's, but your goal is someplace Well, you're never going to get there. So there's never that, you know, feeling of, okay, I've achieved it. And, but I think what, what really can help it be more of a positive is to look at it as, am I moving in the right direction? Because yeah, that road never has an end, at least not for most of us. I mean, some people may say, well, I know a few competitors, you know, they wanted to win one world championship or they wanted to break one record. And once they did that, they were done. But for a lot of us and for me, I'm just a competitor. I've been that way my whole life. I I love competing. And right now, like I'm in my late forties I'm almost 50 I just started competing in jujitsu. You know, I need that kind of outlet. I need something to learn. I need a place to grow. And I, and I just, I thrive off of it and nothing for me is more satisfying than winning.
1: Yeah. There isn't a lot more satisfying. I can't think of anything. I, I've, I've never been, I mean, I feel like, I feel like I am competitive, but I've never, I've never put that into like a kind of a professional practice where I'm actively competing against other people but i do love competing about against myself i i, I feel nothing but joy mm-hmm. when i when i beat myself at something
2: yeah yeah that isn't that again it's all about progress and you know achievements and yeah when you know you bench your pr or you you know pull the biggest deadlift you've ever pulled or whatever it is or you know maybe it's you know you hit a certain body weight or you know you get leaner than you've ever been whatever it is but yeah, those are, those can be hugely satisfying things. And and not, and it's not for everyone, but for those of us that are wired that way, that's, you know, like for me, there's no, there's no bigger high than competing in a, in a high level competition and coming out on top. I mean, you know, I have no interest in drugs. My drug is winning. Right. And, um, but yeah, I just, I don't know, you know, it's part of the way I'm wired, it's the way I've always been. And I think a lot of us are, and, you know, and it's just, And and to put in the work, I mean, part of it too is, is the grind, right? It's the effort, all the, all the sweat and, you know, hard work you put in in the gym. I mean, yeah, sometimes when I'm in the middle of it, you know, people say, God, isn't that, you know, isn't that so hard? Like when you're tired and you're busy and you got all these other things going on, aren't there days you don't want to do it? I'm like, absolutely. Yeah. There's lots of times where I'm exhausted or, you know, other things going on, or maybe I'm, you know, dealing with a bunch of minor injuries or whatever, and I don't feel like going to do it, but, after you push through that and after you do that, and right now, like I'm really working on my cardio, you know, i to be, you know, doing rotating, you know, sprinting on a treadmill with, you know, on the, then hopping on the echo bike and then jumping on the rower and doing these rounds and, you know, feel like I'm about to puke. And but when I get done, it is such a satisfying feeling. And especially when I know I'm making progress, when it's when improving, when I'm faster than I was last time, where I did more than I did last time. And, um, you know, really in mountain biking and the same thing when I'm, you know, when I'm flying through trails that I used to struggle with or making climbs that used to kill me, it's just, it's such a satisfying feeling that knowing that you put in that work and you're getting better.
1: Right. Yeah, it is. It is totally wild. Are there any corollaries to, to this with transitioning or is that just completely in a different universe?
2: You know, I, I think it probably varies on the person for me, you know, like I said, my mindset, I viewed a lot of it the same way. And in some ways that was a mistake because like, so when I first decided to transition and I, I mean, this stuff has been with me for people who aren't familiar with my story or who I am. Um, by the time I was, you know, four or five years old, I, I knew I had these issues with my gender. I didn't know exactly what they meant. I didn't know, you know, and this is, back, you know, you're talking back in the, you know, I was born in 1972. So you're, you're talking late seventies, early eighties you know, I basically grew up during the eighties that that wasn't a topic back then. Right. No one even really knew what, knew what it meant. And I didn't even know that, you know, gender confirmation surgery was even a thing that even possible. but I knew by the time I was five or six years old that I just, you know, something didn't seem right. I, I was constantly daydreaming about being a girl and I didn't understand it, you know, and I, but I did understand enough to know that I couldn't tell people like that if I told people how I felt, it was not going to be received well. I mean, I, you know, I grew up in a small town, northern Michigan, conservative area, and um, grew up in a world that was pretty much completely masculine. And I knew what was okay for the little boys and what was okay for little girls and what was expected of me. And so I tried very, very hard to, you know, fit into that world and to hide the parts of me I knew wouldn't be received well. And, it, and you know, it was torturous. It was an extremely difficult way to grow up you know, hiding a huge part of who I am and always being terrified that somehow someone's going to find out. And fortunately for me, I, you know, I was very athletic and I was competitive and I loved sports. So that was the world that I was basically able to hide in, you know, there, that was the, you know, those things were all considered good for boys, you know, and we're very expected. So the fact that I was competitive, and athletic, that that was a world that I enjoyed and felt good in and felt comfortable, even though so much of the rest of the world, you know, just didn't feel right to me. And, you know, it was one of those things. And then as I got older, it became more and more pressing. And, you know, you eventually reach a point where you can't do it anymore. And uh, But I was terrified when I went through the Marines. I was, you know, back then, had they found out when I was in the Marines, I would have been dishonorably discharged. You know, so it was just something that was, you know, building up inside me. And But then, you know, so then I get out of the Marines and go to college and get my degree and start a family. And and I was honest with my wife. Even before we started dating, she was the first person I ever told but obviously that was a hard thing to deal with in our relationship. And and then uh, after we got divorced and my powerlifting was going really well at that time. And uh, you know, I'm on the cover of magazines, I'm, you know, reaching the top of the sport, you know, achieving these goals, world championships and stuff I've been chasing for years, but the gender issues are weighing heavier and heavier on me. And it's getting, getting to the point where I, you know, I just couldn't do it anymore. And, and I got to the point where I considered suicide I just didn't see any way that my life would ever work out. You know, here I am, this former Marine, world champion powerlifter. You know, this uber everyone perceived me as this uber masculine, you know, alpha male. And, 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 and which, in a lot of ways, I was as a competitor. But uh, but then there was this whole other side of me, and I just didn't see how my life would ever work. I'm like, if I come out about this, I'm going to lose everything. I'm going to lose my sponsors. I'm going to lose all my fans. I'm going to, you know, might lose my career, you know, and, and all this stuff. And I'm, I'm thinking who would ever want to date me? I'm not, you know, how am I ever going to have a relationship? Unfortunately, I was totally open with all of my sons when they were very little. So they knew, so that wasn't an issue that I you know, was worried about. And, but yeah, it was a terrible place to be in. And, so, uh, you know, when I first started, when I finally made the decision, like, look, this is something I need to pursue and something I have to do. Um, I went back and forth a number of times, but then when I finally made a real attempt to transition, I treated it like a bodybuilding diet. I, I went from 272 down to 204 months. I treated it like I was wow. dieting for a show. Yeah, it was, it was, and it wasn't smart because it was short sighted because obviously dieting that hard, that drastically is not something you're able to maintain. So you know, I dropped and I drop the first forty pounds in a month, and then another thirty-two over the next three months, and then I get down to like two hundred pounds, which I hadn't been since like my early twenties, and you know, which is like a decade and a half before that. I'm down to two hundred, but you know, then I'm starving all the time. My metabolism, has, you know, I've stifled my metabolism, and then it's just like, how, how am I going to maintain this? But then I was also struggling with the fact you know, I had always been passionate about strength training and building muscle. Now I just dieted off 70 plus pounds of muscle that I've spent my entire life building and my strength, you know, was plummeting. And then I was on female hormones. So that like, my, you wouldn't believe when I started taking estrogen, what it did to my strength levels. I mean, it just, it tanked so fast. It was, it was incredible. But then that, so all this psychologically, I'm like, I, you know, I don't know how I feel about this. I'm not you know, like, yes, i I want to transition and I have all these other things, you know, that I, I need to be who I am. but I'm still passionate about weight training. At heart, I'm still a strength athlete, and you know, but we have all these messages that society sends us about what women are supposed to be and aren't supposed to be. And you know, I grew up and was taught that men are the one with big muscles, men are the ones that are that are strong. And this was always considered a very masculine thing. But as I dieted down and was doing all this, I had all these conflicted feelings about it. And what I came to realize is that it is not a gendered thing. There are tons of women that are into strength training and like being big and strong and competing. I had competed with a lot of the women as well, but I, I wasn't close to any of them really. Like we knew each other from being at the same competitions. But after I came out about everything, a lot of the women reached out to me and were very supportive and which I was worried about. Cause I wasn't sure how they were going to receive me. I didn't know if they would, you know, not like think I was some kind of invader or, you know, and weren't happy about it, but actually they were all very welcoming. And so many of them reached out to me and I've, and I've become really close friends with a lot of these women. And then I talking to them, I realized they struggled with all the same things. It was they like being big and strong, but there's all this pushback from society, from their family, from their friends, like, oh, don't get too big. You look like a man, you know? Oh, that's disgusting. Why would you want to look that way? And all that kind of stuff. So, but it was all the same kind of things I was dealing with. And I realized, okay, it's not that I have to, you know, muscles are for men and and this is is just all part of who I am. And so then, you know, then the trick has been (laughs) over the last you know, uh, ten years or so is trying to balance all of that and find a place where I feel comfortable. And a lot of it is like with anything else, is like learning how to not care about what other people think, which is extremely easy to say and obviously extremely difficult to do.
1: I mean it that that little tag could be the most valuable you know, if it was as easy as a switch. I mean God, how different would life be if we could just really not care about what other people think, you know? Absolutely. It is a magical idea. I can't – listen, the the gender stuff, I don't want to ever think like my experience is similar to your experience because I I cannot truly – I can empathize with it. I cannot – I don't understand it from an experiential point of view. But Mm -hmm. the idea of discomfort with self is something – I felt forever. And, and I just want to, I guess my question is, was it, was it like a miraculous fix that went away the minute you kind of came out or, or made that change? Do you know what I'm saying?
2: Yeah. I I wouldn't say it went away or it ever goes away, but it is, but it's a vast improvement. Right. You know, it's kind of like, you know, getting stronger, but never being strong enough. And and one common theme, you know, you run into with a lot of trans people is that no matter how much we progress in like our appearance, as far as how we want to appear, how we're comfortable in our own bodies, just like with lifting and stuff, there's always that little voice inside you saying, you know, these parts of you that you don't like, like I've met, you know, I, I have tons of friends in the trans community, obviously now, and I've met, you know, there's so many just drop-dead gorgeous trans women, feminine as can be. And if they're not open about it, no one is ever going to read them. And when I say read it, the that's in the trans community, it means like people will be able to tell that they're transgender. But yet they will. I was shocked to talk to some of these girls and then, you know, and talk about the struggles I have with, you know, not being able to ever look the way I want to look, you know, the way my body's never going to be exactly how I would like it to be. And and part of that's genetics. Part of it has to do with me transitioning much later in life. And part of it has to do with me previously being 280 pounds of muscle. And and not that I want to be some small skinny thing that I have no interest in that I actually my ideal physique as a woman would be something along the lines of like the really muscular CrossFit girls or like women's um, physique competitors, like a very muscular woman, no matter what, I have no interest in, in being like tiny and skinny, but still my body proportions and other things. And, and the fact that my hair is thin to the point where I can't grow it out. That that's something I struggle with, but no matter like how gorgeous and feminine these girls are, I was shocked to find out a lot of them were like, there's still certain aspects. Maybe, you know, maybe it's when they look at their hands and their hands are a little bigger than a typical woman's and, or there's something about their face, their jaw, or, you know, something that no one else is ever going to notice or think anything of, but to them, it's still that reminder of the parts about themselves that they're not happy with or they don't like, or that it doesn't feel authentic to them. And so I think we all deal with that to some degree. You know, we all have things about ourselves, like, you know, maybe it's, Something about the way that we look, you know, or, or the way we're built. Maybe we're not tall enough. Maybe we're not thin enough. Whatever it is, And in a lot of ways, you know, these are insecurities. But um, but I, I think with transition and lifting, and in that ways, there's a lot of similarities. And and I think also in the fact that that again, it's a journey. It's it's a you know, you're you're working on progress. You're working on becoming who you are. And and I think all of us, you know, and whether you're you know not transgender or a lifter or anything. There's, you know, there's always things that, that we're not happy with, and we're always trying to improve upon. And the same goes with with those areas. But yeah, transitioning into, a oh, it's it's a trip. I mean, you know, when you talk about hormones and surgeries and all these other things, and and it's all really all you're trying to do is feel comfortable in your own skin. All I ever wanted was to look in the mirror and be able to see the person on the outside that I feel on the inside. And, you know, I don't know. I mean, there's some days I feel like I'm there and many days I I don't. Um, Maybe when I'm dressed a certain way or presenting a certain way, you know, there's sometimes I look in the mirror and and, um, I feel very happy with everything. And regardless, it's all a lot better than it was, but I don't know that I'll ever reach a place where, you know, I can say, oh, that's, you know, that's me and and, uh, I feel, you know, 100% okay with that. Like I said, it has to do with, transitioning later in life and other challenges and and a lot of it is society's perception even if I'm you know happy with what I see the fact it's still you know like I said it's easy to say you don't care what anybody else thinks and I've done a really really good job with getting to a place where that's very minimal for me I would say much less so than the majority of people but it's still it has an impact on our lives right like you know, when I go places or something and I, you know, you walk by people and you hear whispers or you hear comments and it's really, really hard to not let any of that sink in. And 99% of the time, I do very, very well with it. And I and I take it for what it is. I realize like a lot of times it's just due to ignorance, like people don't understand or maybe their own insecurities so they're projecting. But yeah, the end, there's days it does get to you and there are and days it does affect your life. You know, like sometimes if, I'm, if I have an important, you know, business type meeting and, you know, I worry about. You know, if they, you know, if they, they, even if they know I'm trans, but if my appearance to them doesn't uh, fit what they're comfortable with, is this going to affect how seriously they take me and how they treat me? Am I going to be treated with the same level of respect as everyone else? And then, of course, there's, you know, lots of practical things as far as, you know, violence and aggression and things like that. That, you know, if you're, if you have an appearance that doesn't fit into society, you know, that's a, that could be a real uh, factor of everyday life.
1: Yeah. There is so much. To that that I relate to while also looking at the way I relate to it seems kind of just maybe maybe more common or you know I, I mean my kids say I have a resting bitch face and when I try to really <laughs> dial in why that is it's because as a little kid I wanted people to know like if you make fun of me I'm gonna fight you so I'm gonna just have this mean look on my face at all times as a warning or like uh, you know a a thing to protect myself I'm a very happy like nice person mm-hmm. and my kids are always in public saying stop looking so angry and and it's like <laughs> I, I I don't mean to be doing that you know that this is just like this is my defense yeah. mechanism and 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 it's true it's a wild it's a wild thing to to think about but this idea that you know not letting stuff affect us and yet like you know i think that's all life is is you know mm-hmm. this involvement we're in a world with other people and we're coexisting and so it's all obviously going to have some effect on us
2: right and, and the reality is it does affect our lives you know like For example, you know, if I show up for a business meeting, depending on my appearance, and I I know if I present more masculine, because I'm still quite muscular, it's easy for me to be read as male if I want to, and and it's often tempting at times just to do that so I know I'll be taking more seriously, and I know that's going to affect, you know, how like you know, like I said, if it's a professional thing, it might affect how that meeting goes and how seriously they take me, you know. So it's hard not to factor those things in when they really do affect your life, and the same thing too, like for me traveling to different countries and everything, you know, that's a real factor depending on where you're going. You know, there's a lot of places in the world where it's not safe being transgender. And that's, you know, like things with like, you know, all my IDs are updated, but, but yeah, it's like, I got to think about those things. Like, okay, where are we going? Is this, is this, you know, what's going to happen when I show my IDs and, and you know, so there's, there you know, as much as we'd like to say, well, it doesn't matter what other people think in, in a lot of ways it does. You know, and it's easy to say, like I said, the easiest thing in the world is to say, hey, I don't care what anybody else thinks. And like I said, I've really worked hard on that, and I think I do a really good job with it. But it's still, it is, there are days, or there's just certain things. And sometimes it can be as simple as the way somebody looks at you. For me, I grew up, and not not only having all these trans feelings, but I grew up, you know, poor in in a very rural neighborhood. And what a lot of people would refer to as, like, poor white trash and I was looked down upon because of who my dad was and because of what family I came from. And, uh, you know, at school, I mean, I had coaches flat out tell me that they let other kids play in front of me or I had to move positions to make, because their family was more important than mine and no, they knew no one was going to care if I didn't get playing time or they took me out of the game, but these other kids, you know, had to. So I had this chip on my shoulder growing up, always feeling like less, and, um, and especially then, you know, with all my trans feelings on top of it, I always felt like I was being looked down upon. And in many cases, I was. But so I had this, you know, that was part of my motivation. I was never trying to prove that I was better than everyone else. I was trying to prove I wasn't less. And so this is, it's been like an overriding theme throughout my entire life. And so, you know, I know I'm, I'm sensitive to those types of things. And so if I feel like someone's being condescending to me or, you know, treating me in a certain way, I'm I'm sensitive to it and it it pushes those buttons and I'm conscious of it, but I still have those feelings and it still stirs up a lot of that stuff I grew up with. You know, there's things I'm working on, but, uh, but yeah, it's hard. We all have our soft points. And when those buttons get pushed, it's it's hard to ignore those things.
1: Yeah. And is there a, a route? Because I think, I think, look, and, and my, my biggest hindrance to change and certainly, my change was much more. I mean, I, I'm nothing but, for the most part, applauded for my change. That's not, it's not universally true. There are outliers and some people mm-hmm. who are negative about it, for, but for the most part. So, so that's not difficult because I'm, I've got a, an automatic cheering section from society for the change that I've made. But I do think that there is a lot of, a lot of barriers built up mentally for people that are, that are about the fear of failure or about, you know, the, just taking that first step and, and having enough self-worth to be public with yourself or to get out there and do this thing to change. And so I wonder what the, if, if there's anything you do to kind of circumnavigate that idea that, that, you know, look, I wish what people, what other people thought didn't matter, but I'll, I'll post a picture and get a thousand nice comments, but my, eye will go to the negative one. And, and, and then I'll sit Mm -hmm. there and wonder why my nipple is lower than the average dude's nipple. And it'll bum me out, you know, and that'll be the comment that Mm -hmm. sticks with me for 24 hours. Now it's not sticking with me to the point that I'm like dwelling on it. And, and, and it's actually having some real effect on me because I, I too have worked on this for a long time, but for somebody who's
0: And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
2: If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care
1: and, you know, whatever the universe or their perception of the universe that's getting in the way of it, what, what's the what's the step that you made that that really gave you the confidence to do that?
2: I'll tell you what one of the biggest realizations I came to that helped me deal with all this and see it for what it is, is that I realized no matter how good of a person you are, how loving you are, how successful you are, how intelligent, no matter what level you've achieved in everything, there are still going to be people that hate you. And whether it's out of jealousy or envy or you know other reasons or some some reason they just don't like you, no matter what you do, no matter how perfect of a person you are, there are still going to be people that, do- that don't like you and want to see you fail. And, and I realized that it's interesting because my success in powerlifting actually prepared me very well for coming out as trans. And the other thing about too that was difficult about my coming out. Well, I had come out to my family and friends first. I was outed publicly uh, to the fan base and to some of my sponsors and stuff, and that caused a lot of turmoil. But before that, I had already come to the conclusion because I realized. So when I in powerlifting, I kind of even though I had worked a really really long time to get to where I was, and there was a lot of slow steady progress, I was somewhat of an overnight success because in the couple years before I won my first world championship. I had a lot of injuries, I had several surgeries, Um, I was diagnosed with cancer and had surgery for that. Well, all those things had kept me out of the big competitions the last several years. So I was still making all this progress and I had made it to that level. In 2003, I had qualified for the Arnold Classic, which was the biggest contest at the time. But I I came in, I was like ranked like seventh. Well then I had, I was diagnosed with cancer three weeks before the Arnold Classic. You know, I couldn't compete that year. I had to have surgery and radiation. And then the next year I tore my bicep preparing for the qualifier. And then the year after that, I tore my other bicep, but I was making progress. So then when I did come back and I won the world championships at the Arnold in 2006, a lot of people, people were like, who the heck is this guy? You know, where did he come from? And, uh, but then all of a sudden, like I picked up major sponsors People were talking about me all over the internet and it was this really weird thing of being pretty anonymous. And then all of a sudden, at least in my, you know, that small community, all of a sudden everyone's talking about me and people who've never met me. And I, and I realized right away, people were going to say stuff that was completely untrue that had nothing to do with me whatsoever. And um, there'd be stories would come out and, you know, people would say things and I just realized, like, wow! Like, no matter what, there are going to be people that don't like you and want to see you fail. And so, by the so, I had learned how to deal with all of that. And by the time I got to, you know, when I got outed as trans and started receiving, oh my gosh, you wouldn't believe the messages. And I mean, it was, you know, well, you can imagine. So being. Being like, you know, someone was, you know, like this very popular athlete as a powerlifter in a very blue collar slash, you know, macho masculine type sport. And I had all these fans that followed me and then they find out that I'm trans. Well, I'd say about 50% of them at least were not happy and <laughs> they were extremely upset I I had people messaging me to tell me they'd burn posters that I had signed for them and just saying, you know, horrible things. I was accused of all kinds of things too. Like I'm, I'm doing it for attention and to further my dying career. I remember one guy saying and all this stuff, but like I said, what really, really helped me was to recognize it for what it is that no matter what, there are going to be people who don't like you and you can't let that affect you as a person. Cause if you do, if you're going to let like every single person that has something bad to say about you or doesn't like you affect your life, you're going to have a really miserable life. So it's learning to keep that in perspective and realize, you know, Hey, I know who I am. I know what kind of person I am. I know what's in my heart and I know what I'm capable of. And so these people who don't know me or even people that didn't know me and said nasty things it's like you know what? they have their own issues. And a lot of times it was because they weren't comfortable with who I was. You know, it didn't have anything to do with me or what I'd done. It had to do with them not being comfortable in and of themselves. And so when you, you recognize that and you accept that, and that helps a lot. I'm not saying it makes it totally go away or makes it like an easy thing. Like, oh, just snap your fingers, recognize that, and everything's a take walk. But it did help to a large degree to help me to recognize things for what they were and to not take that on internally.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. I I think it took me a long time to, to figure out that I could through hard work and effort, you know, not mindlessly, but through effort kind of beat maybe my instinct to react to things that were upsetting to me. And so I think you're, you're totally right. At the end of the day, if we allow it to get us down to the point where we don't Proceed, the only person that can change that is us.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I always, when people, you know, ask me for advice about that kind of stuff, the one thing I say to keep in mind, and this is something I remind myself of all the time, and especially if there is a comment or, or an interaction that brings about those negative feelings, I, I always tell people, I said, remember when somebody says, you know, something really bad about you or does something really negative towards you, it says a lot more about who they are than about who you are. It's it's not about you. It's about them. And if you just keep that in mind, you know, when somebody's nasty and everything, that's just, that's all about who they are as a person, you know, and just not allowing external forces to control our internal feelings. But that, but that's something I definitely try to keep in mind. And I always, you know, kind of bring that up with other people when they're asking for advice or struggling with that about, you know, how do you, when people are just horrible to you, how do you deal with that? And believe me, I've had some, I've had some interactions and I've had some people say some pretty horrible things. The toughest ones for me when it was about, like when people would say stuff about being a parent and that, you know, that I was being a terrible parent and that my kids should be taken away from me and all that kind of stuff, because that's something for me that, you know, everyone loves their kids, of course, but to me, that's something I've worked very, very hard on. And has always been extremely important to me as the bond I have with my children. And I've tried really, really hard to, you know, lead by example and and set the, you know, and set the best example I can for them. And then for people to say that me being trans, you know, is, is, you know, messing my kids up. Those are things that I am sensitive to. And I know that. So those are the ones when I hear comments like that or, you know, people say things that, or like that I'm forcing my kids to pretend to be accepting because my, my boys are, 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 you know, they've known their whole lives. so They've grown up realizing that people are just there's, you know, sometimes people are different in different ways and there's nothing wrong with that. So my boys are 100% supportive. We have an amazing relationship and they can't under, they really can't understand why anyone would care or why it makes a difference. But, you know, for a lot of other people, that's hard to accept. And a lot of guys will say stuff like, oh, you know, you know, you know, those boys were forced to say that they don't, they don't really believe that, but in their mind, they can't comprehend that they are totally okay with it and um, that it doesn't make any difference. But, um, and so I just recognize it for what it is. It's their inability to understand that's making them react that way.
1: Right. And we can apply that to kind of anything, I think.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, it, it just really comes back to it's, you know, people's, ignorance. And I don't mean, when I say ignorance, I don't mean stupidity. I mean, their lack of knowledge, their lack of understanding. And, and uh, you know, if you've never, and I get it, I grew up in a small town in Northern Michigan and, you know, in a time period where being trans or non-binary or these kinds of things were never talked about and no one was even aware of. And so I understand, like, if you've had no exposure to those things and you've grown up in a world where you've been told your whole life that that's not okay, or they you know, these people are you know, there's something wrong with them. They're ill. And and until you run into, excuse me, evidence that teaches you otherwise, I can understand why people initially would believe that. And that's another reason you'll never see me arguing or fighting with people over this kind of stuff. You'll never see me online, like, you know, sending nasty messages or comments back and forth. I don't engage in that because I don't think it's positive and I don't think it does any good. I, I try to start like healthy dialogue and I try to get people to have a conversation and I try to get them to think. And, you know, and I feel like in that way you can change people's minds or at least you can open them up to ideas they've never considered. But if, as soon as it becomes an argument, as soon as it becomes a debate or as soon as it becomes a contest of who's right and who's wrong, they're going to completely shut down. They're not going to listen to a thing you have to say, and you're not going to be able to help anybody
1: my mind keeps going to this in, in different ways. And it's something I haven't even totally figured out yet. And I keep bringing it up. And so people listening might be really annoyed that I'm bringing it up again, but did you happen to see this, um, <laughs> this cover of, uh, or and I don't even know if it's a cover, but a cosmopolitan thing with a heavy gal and it says, this is healthy. Did you see that?
2: Um, I did. I, I, I actually, I just, um, came across it not too long ago, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah.
1: So I have a ton of reactions to that. And and I think when I dig down deepest, the reaction that is probably the most honest is, you know, I don't have a lot of excess fat right now, but I lived with most of my life having excess fat. And so for me, seeing that, I just go like, well, this is only going to cause some guy to have the reaction of, no, it's not. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and then therefore that's an attack on me. And, and I just go at the end of the day, I can look at that picture and go, how, how, how the fuck do I know whether that gal's healthy or not? I don't know. I'm not looking at her blood. Mm -hmm. Does you know, is she a drug addict or like all these other things? I have no idea. She looks happy one of them is doing some crazy yoga move holding her toe above her head i can't do that that's got to be some sign of health in some way some metric of flexibility at least i don't know but i think mm-hmm. i think that you know this whole standardization of like this thing is either this or that and 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 then we're going to build up teams about it and we're all going to think about it in a certain way for me at the end of the day i just think like if a person has a, a physical goal, that's their goal. We don't all have to be in mm-hmm. control of what everybody else's goal is. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it just yeah, no. it feels like a weird, I, I don't know. I, I'm very curious about what Cosmopolitan's intent was with that. As a former fat person, I'm uncomfortable by it. That's all.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think you bring up a lot of good points there and I think it's a very complicated conversation, right? It isn't as simple as, you know, you can able to look at number one, being able to look at somebody and judge their health based on appearance is extremely deceiving. There's a lot of people you would assume looking at them, they'd be, they'd be in great health and they're not, their numbers are horrible. You know, genetics play a large role in that. You don't know, you know, their diets and how often they exercise. There are a lot of people that are a lot bigger than what you know people would assume is healthy and are very healthy. And there's people that are very thin or appear to be in good shape that aren't. So it's, it's a much more complicated conversation than you know saying a certain body size makes you healthy and another body size makes you unhealthy. But then there's that whole conversation too of, and, I, and I'm sure with Cosmopolitan, I shouldn't say I'm certain, but, um, but I'm guessing that part of the part of what the argument they were getting towards or they're trying to make is, you know, about perceptions and about the pressure that's on the female body to look a certain way. And there's only one way that it's acceptable and one or only one way where it's perceived to be good. And, and I, you know, that's a huge, that's a huge conversation to have and everything that goes in that between media marketing and everything else. And just, you know, Oh gotcha. Yeah, we should get into a really, really deep conversation there. There's a whole lot of things going on, but I, I think the bottom line is that, you know, just looking at anyone, humans are incredibly complex and there's a whole lot of ways in which we all differ. And trying to say any one thing definitively about anybody just based on appearance, I think is inherently due to fail.
1: Me too. And I think that that's the biggest takeaway I, I get from it. I I I feel maybe anxious because I know that had I, if I had excess fat right now, I would feel like, am I going to get somebody yelling at me on the street? You're not healthy. Mm -hmm. Or, 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 and, and at the same time, like I, I look at that gal now, look, if it was a, a, the Marlboro man with a cigarette and, and it said, this is healthy. I think we would all gravitate towards, they're saying the cigarette is healthy and, you know, I don't know. I, yeah. I, it, yeah. It, it, yeah. It, it's a lot.
2: Yeah, there's there's a lot going on there, and 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 to say that you know body fat percentage doesn't play a role in health is is disingenuous as well. Right. Exactly. Um, but again, but again, that level isn't going to be the same for every person. But I um, mean, there's so many other factors to go into that. But yeah, it, it's a very a very complicated subject. There's a lot that goes into it. Like I said, just to try to act like it's as simple as A, B or C, it isn't. But yeah, but, and I can totally understand how, you know, because of you, your life and your journey, like something like that makes you feel very vulnerable and stirs up a lot of emotions for you. And I'm sure it'd be the same for me if it was something that stereotyped muscular people or trans people or you know people that are you know non-binary and lives outside this binary gender system you know yeah it's always because you feel like it because it feels so personal right it's something you can relate to and you feel like it's almost putting you in that in that same area and what and then it's like what does it say about me and there's just so many things going on there
1: it's also drawing such a hard line that it's like we're making this statement and now you're either on this side of the statement or the other side of the statement. Do you, do you know what I mean?
2: Oh yeah. And I think in our world right now, isn't that one of our biggest problems is that everything is so polarized and everything is you're on this team or you're on that team. I mean, you know, and that it goes in that in so many areas and that in, it's so incredibly hard to have a positive environment and to accomplish things and to do things when everybody is you're on this team or you're on that team. And if you're on this team, this is what we do. And the other team does this and those guys are evil. We're the good guys. And, and it's just, yeah, when you split everything like that and try to make things black and white or us against them um, you know, I I'm, I'm in Michigan and for anybody from the Midwest, I always describe, I always use this analogy. So Michigan and Ohio state have a huge rivalry. One of the oldest rivalries in college football for anybody who follows college football, U of M versus Ohio state. I mean, it's, you know, a huge rivalry and they literally, a lot of people from those towns hate each other. And and I always think it's crazy because here you have people that are passionate about the same sport, probably can relate on tons of things, have a lot of the same interests and would probably be best friends in every other scenario. But because one lives in Columbus, Ohio and one lives in Ann Arbor, Michigan, they hate each other. I think it's the most ridiculous, most ridiculous thing. But I think and there's, and there's so many other issues right now in our country where it's become so polarized and, you know, you're on this side, you're on that side and it's created such a divide and it's so divisive and and it's just, yeah, it's really, I mean, we see what our world looks like right now and I think that's a big part of it.
1: Yeah. And again, I think the, the magical thing is like figure out what's right for you and, and do it despite what either people are going to think or say, or you suspect their perception is going to be. Mm -hmm. That's the, that's the whole game, I think.
2: Yeah. And and you made another really good point right there in that what you think their perception is going to be. That's one thing that I, lesson I learned and something I found out. And I think any of us when we're very insecure about a certain aspect of ourselves or there's something we're sensitive about, like with me, you know, I was perceived as this big masculine weightlifter for so long and, and that was, positive, you know, almost always very positively perceived, right? So you walk in and everybody's like, oh, look at the big guy. Oh, you know, oh, you're so strong and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Or even like, you know, for example, I went out to eat and I and eat a ton of food and they were so impressed. They'd be like, oh, my gosh, you see that guy I ate two pizzas. And just no matter what you did, it was just like, you know, people, it was all seen in a positive light. And then, you know, coming out as trans and now it's like totally flip-flopped and now everything's negative and I'm some weirdo and I'm a pervert and this and that when I'm the same exact person I've always been. But then, you you know, you're sensitive to these things and you're it, it's just such a different perception. But the thing is, is my point was based on what you said was that, so I would see people look at me and when I was, you know, perceived as this big, muscular, masculine person, and sometimes I still am, you know and i see somebody looking at me most of the time i assume they were thinking something positive but if if i'm being read as trans and i'm out and i see someone staring at me the first thing going through my mind is oh they think i'm a freak they think i'm a weirdo they think i'm you know some you know i'm i'm assuming negative things and then i started realizing over time, and you know, I'd be really, and it'd make me feel like crap, right? It'd make me feel bad, and you know, and sometimes I would leave angry or I'd leave hurt, or you know, and I, and I rarely ever did I ever have an actual interaction with these people, but anytime somebody was staring at me, I assumed it was very negative, and then I ended up finding out over time there was a couple times, like even clients of mine that I was training in powerlifting, there was one newer client, and you know, I was and I was very open about everything, they knew everything, but the first time I dealt with him in person. I I sense his whole demeanor was that, you know, I thought he was uncomfortable with me and that he had a problem with it. And it was this whole thing. I find out later the guy's just an incredibly shy person and he's just not real comfortable in social situations. And he was actually super kind and very supportive and actually felt very fortunate to be working with me. But based on my own perceptions and my insecurities, I had assumed exactly the opposite. And that's the thing. Like a lot of times we tend to assume the worst in people, instead of giving them the benefit of the
1: doubt. Yeah. I don't even know how to put it in words, right? But the biggest barrier for me was to to getting on a diet. The first time I was like, oh, I want to diet because I have this new goal, was the idea of talking to the girl who was my girlfriend about it. And and it was almost like I was going to have to tell her a secret that I was 500 pounds. This is not something I could right. hide. She's very right. very aware of it. You know what I mean? And so <laughs> I had all these like mental corkscrews and mazes worked out that like no, telling her you want to do this is dangerous. Why? She knows. There's nothing I can't hide this, you know? But I think I think this is the point that our our idea of what people's reaction is going to be can be stifling. And, and, and we have to, we have to beat that, you know, at all costs.
2: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And and anything like a one is, is even if their reaction is negative, not allowing that to hurt us. But at the same time, like I said, realizing that not everyone's going to perceive things the way we think they will, and especially the way we fear they will, you know, for me, oh my gosh, coming out as trans to, I, as an adult, I was hundred percent honest with every girl I've ever dated. I just, for a couple of reasons, one, I felt it wasn't fair to them. And I also felt it wasn't fair to me if they didn't know exactly who I was and what was going on, you know, I didn't want to get into a relationship where this was going to become a problem. Because even after I was open about it, I wasn't, act, you know, I was I was very rarely presenting feminine, and initially, like for a lot of people, you know, especially when I wasn't really comfortable with it, you know, I was going out to friendly spaces where I would get dialed up, and but I wasn't living that way on a daily basis. So if I met someone, it wasn't immediately apparent. So it was like every time I dated someone new, I had to have this conversation, and it was extremely difficult at first, and even especially coming out to my friends. Like it took me months to tell one of my closest friends when I first started telling people, we had these partial conversations and it was so painful and so hard for me. I couldn't even, I couldn't even get the words out. I was just so terrified of what his reaction was going to be and that I was going to lose one of my best friends and that what he was going to think of me, you know? And, um, fortunately my experience was largely the opposite. Almost everyone in my life was very supportive. Um, but it was, it was one of the most difficult things I've been through and just the fear and the anxiety of coming out to them and, and being terrified of what their reaction is going to be.
1: Yeah. Yeah. This is amazing. Janae, thank you so much. I think this has been, you know, for me and for people listening, super helpful.
2: Oh, thank you. I, I really appreciate you having me on, allowing me to share my story and, and just getting to talk with you. It's been, a, I've really enjoyed the conversation.
1: Me too. I look forward to doing it again. Thank you. And now for the Q and a
0: Timothy asks, when I get to the gym to lift, how should I warm up? Do I just go straight into lifting, but do lighter weights for a set? Should I do thirty
1: minutes of cardio first? Both. I okay. Fair question. You should always warm up. I've done both things. A thirty minutes of cardio se- sounds like a cardio session to me, and not a. I mean, if you're doing it really like list cardio, uh low impact, steady state cardio, then thirty minutes maybe, but. Listen, I'm just going to tell you what I do. I'm not going to tell you what you should do. I either do 15 to 20 minutes on an elliptical machine and never let my heart rate get very high, but just wait until I feel warm, you know, and that takes about 15 to 20 minutes, or I shake my arms out and lift lighter um, and progressively work up to my working weight. I wouldn't just do one set uh, you know i i also they're not full sets but i wouldn't just you know take half the weight i'm gonna lift and rep it a couple of times and then just jump to the the working weight i would do you know three reps at incremental stages a few different weights leading up to my working weight that's what i do i don't know what science says to do i don't know that science has an opinion on this i do think if you're lifting heavy things though that may be jumping right into your working weight while cold is not a great idea thanks for your question timothy if you have a question you would like me to answer on this chat show this chat roulette of the uh podcast you can submit it to americanglutton.net there you go thanks for listening to this episode of american glutton I'm Ethan Suplee, and as always, joined by my chaperone, Paige Dorian. Follow us on Instagram at AmericanGluttonPodcast. Sincerely.
0: Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to health care, it pays to be extra.